Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves and joining me on this continuing adventure through the the unique journey, you could say, that is Season 3, my good friend in crime, Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to journaling these episodes in this big broadcast of 2022 but who knows if we'll make it because we are only human <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I can't add to that <laughs> you, you summed up what we're discussing perfectly do you know what i know it's been a few weeks since we last did a podcast because sort of just to put cards on the table folks podcast didn't appear last week because schedule changes happened but all going well should be back to our usual sort of schedule now of every two weeks and whatnot but it is kind of weird getting back to this after the extra week break. And in some ways, I think it may have benefited me watching these episodes that we're talking about today. Because if this is going to sound a really bad way of phrasing it. It actually felt really good fun watching these episodes. It may have also been because they were actually quite interesting stories. Rather than some of the uh, unique storytelling we've had perhaps in recent podcasts. But overall, this was a good round of episodes that we've got. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of ended up watching them with like a weird split of the first couple, which were weird to watch for another reason we'll get into. Um, and, you know, and, and then I had a long break and suddenly when we were talking about when we we're recording this podcast, suddenly realised I hadn't watched Only Human yet. And so I had to, <laughs> had to watch that yesterday. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think there's there's some very typical kind of Transformers cartoonness to these in that there's good ideas that aren't necessarily executed on completely. I mean, like only... Only Human in particular feels like it's landed on a super good idea and then just doesn't have time to do anything much with it. Um, but it still has some cool elements to it. And yeah, like the the other kind of effective two-parter, which somehow ends up backwards in the broadcast order. Like, yeah, that, that's that's some good some good storytelling there. Like, there's some, some stuff I really like about that. Indeed. And just to set the scene, the episodes we are covering today from Season 3 are Episodes 21 to 23 in the broadcast order. We'll come back to that in a second as to why. The episodes in question in 21 to 23's order being The Quintesson Journal, The Big Broadcast of 2006, and Only Human. But before we go any further, folks, a little bit of housekeeping. First of all, if you're a first-time listener, thank you very much for giving the podcast a try. We hope you have a great time listening to it. If you want to delve back into the archives, we have done 25 previous episodes, not including a couple of bonus episodes here and there, literally going from right from the beginning of Transformers G1 up to this point. You can find our podcast on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. We've done our best to get it around as many places as we can, so you should be able to find the episodes accordingly. Also worth noting, Andy, because we were having a little bit of a discussion after the last podcast we recorded, and we were trying to figure out a way of having, for want of a better phrase, a a sort of a long-term archive of the podcast that we can sort of just know it's there, and should anything come up down the line, it likely won't go anywhere. So what we've actually done, everybody, is we've actually launched a Patreon page. But I want to be clear, before we go any further, this is not actually to try and get people to want a better phrase again pledge money to get more content it's literally just a page where the podcast can live so that's very much the intended plan of it yeah yeah it's it's, it's been one of our discussion points from the get-go of like basically where do we host this thing and finding good solutions for that and apparently patreon is a good solution for that uh that, that we can use without you having to to give us money effectively so yeah why not 
was our was our decree. So if you do want to find a page, everybody, it is patreon.com slash Starscreams Ghost. Again, just to reiterate everyone, it's not intended to get you to pledge money to get more content. It's literally just a long-term archive. But I will say we will be updating that page with new podcasts as they come out. So if you do want if you do have a Patreon account and you want to follow the page i.e. not pledging, but you can follow, you will then get the updates accordingly on your Patreon feed as to when a new episode is available. And in terms of another way you can watch the podcast, should you be watching it that way already, hello to you, because we do record every single podcast as a video podcast, which you can find in full on YouTube. This being another way that we are archiving the podcast long-term. Simply go on YouTube, search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, and you should find us just fine. And I mentioned YouTube, the episodes that we are talking about today and on every podcast of the Transformers G1 series is dictated, ordering-wise, by the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. It's the 100% legitimate way of watching the Transformers G1 cartoon. And as mentioned, today we are talking about episodes 21 through 23. But Andy, before we get on to our first episode proper, we need to make a decision. Because as you have alluded to, two of the episodes, it turns out, is actually kind of a stealth two-parter. But as we did a little bit of digging just before we hit the record button on this, it turns out they did actually air out of order. So we now need to make the decision, are we going to recap them in broadcast out of order or production in order? <laughs> yeah, it's a really weird set of circumstances, especially given that it's not like, you know, we, we've had this before with, you know, the order on Hasbro Pulse with like something like Dark Awakening, where we watched it way earlier than it, we should have done, as it turns out. Cause that was Starscream's supposed... Ghost and Ghost in the Machine. Yeah, yeah, likewise. But this is a particularly weird one because it's just a direct transposition. Well, that's a good word. Transposition of, um, of of these two episodes <laughs> for no particular reason. And yeah, I was sat here being like, how, how do they keep losing these capsules? And then realise it's actually just the same capsule. But because <laughs> the episodes are the wrong way around, it made no sense. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll we'll cover it in the order in which we watch them um just because that matches our notes and our experiences but if we do sound like a bunch of lunatics talking about everything backwards we're not trying to recreate tenor or anything like that it's just that <laughs> it was also lunatics that scheduled these episodes when they broadcast on tv as it turns out i think with that in mind then everybody there is one place to properly start today that being in the wrong place, because we're starting with the Quintesson Journal, that being episode 21 of season 3. The episode begins on Cybertron with a news report of sorts, setting the scene for the main crux of this episode. We see footage of two nations, if you will, fighting, accompanied by the following voiceover. Let's see how badly I butcher the names of these places that I'm about to say. Quote, for centuries, Zataxis and Lanark have been engaged in senseless and brutal struggle. Zataxis has been has been nearly destroyed, excuse me, by Lanark in attacks. While Lanark, not Lanark, to, to clarify, it's a note from me now because they said Lanark a couple of times and randomly Lanart. We won't delve into that, but continuing the quote, while Lanark has suffered equal devastation. Both civilizations will be extinct within one more generation unless these negotiations bring peace. End quote. We then come to find out the Autobots are hosting peace talks between the two planets in question on Cybertron. Rodimus Prime's response to the new report that was played to him a few moments ago that I just quoted was, Thanks for the happy news, Melkor. <laughs> you can tell what mood he is in. 
Spike Witwicky asks the leaders of the two delegations to shake hands, and they take the opportunity at that point to grapple with each other, because that's where we're at in this war, everybody. And Rodimus then remarks that this is going really well so far. Elsewhere, a container of some kind... Just get, to get to follow us on this, folks. Just go with it. A container of some kind falls onto a forest-like planet from outer space. Predator King is flying nearby and detects the signal that the container is emitting as it's flying nearby. I say it as they pronouns. You know, let's get that right. We see communications between Predator King and Cyclonus, the latter of the two seemingly being on Char, or another planet either way, about the situation where Predator King informs him of the signal being an old Quintesson one. Cyclonus says that he'll join him and tells him to be on watch as the Autobots may have also picked up the same signal. However, the Autobots have picked up the same signal, Perceptor specifically detecting it from Cybertron, and he sends Skylynx, who is carrying Blaster and Outback inside of himself, to what is referred to, Andy, as the Angarix Sector. <laughs> they had some fun with the names on this one, I suspect. <laughs> right. Uh, so they are going there to investigate. Upon arrival, a surface scan doesn't reveal it's a decent place for Skylinks to be able to land, so Blaster and Outback head out on foot. Blaster also then accompanied by Steeljaw and Ramhorn, the two cassette Autobots, to help with the search. At this point, the Autobots are suddenly attacked by vines, as in tree vines, but they are able to free themselves mainly through the help of Steeljaw and Steeljaw's teeth. Upon escaping, Outback says, I could really learn to hate chlorophyll in this place. I had to write that one down, Andy. Sorry. But Blaster did then respond with, Stop talking and keep walking. Signal's coming from that way. So Blaster ain't taking no lip today. During all of this commotion, elsewhere, we cut back to the Decepticons on a few occasions where Predaking has now separated into the Predacons to cover more ground. The Autobots out of all of these Transformers are the first to get to the source of the signal, a strange golden cylinder-like container. We then see Skylynx is flying nearby, lamenting that it's hard for him to keep track of them, and then proceeds to fly into a tree and nearly causing the tree to fall on this said cylindrical-like device, structure, whatever you want to call it. Outback blasts the tree, but in the commotion causes the device to activate, at which point a projection of a hologram of a Quintesson appears before them. To pause there for a second, Andy, because there's quite a lot of ground that's been covered there. Although that not necessarily much has happened at this point, even in hindsight knowing we were watching this out of order, it was really intriguing. What is this about? Like, what's it leading to? What is this thing that seems to be Quintesson related? They, they did a really good job of setting this up, even like we were at the time, watching this not knowing what had actually come before it yeah i mean the whole kind of like capsule falling on a planet thing you can kind of fill in the gaps pretty quickly on that regardless of, of anything else that's going on so it's like yeah it does sort of stand alone as far as that goes um but yeah there's there's quite a lot to sort of like about this early setup i mean again there's that recurring theme of sort of like autobots as sort of peace galactic peacekeepers at this point which you know this is a far more overt version of stuff we've seen before where it's sort of a bit of a a bit of like background noise of like um you know 
they're at some kind of peace talks or whatever. Like this, this episode is a far more direct. Like no, they're kind of in charge of all this stuff, and also it's kind of it's kind of a hard gig because it it turns out <laughs> a lot of these uh, a lot of these warring planets not really too interested in the whole peace thing. Um, so yeah, all of all of that is pretty good, um, and obviously you know dropping this signal as a kind of a, almost literal football for the two sides to fight over is you know a pretty pretty solid way of, of uh, getting things going although to continue the football analogy like Skylink's not really man of the match in this one like I feel like he just like <laughs> he, he dropped literally just dumps everybody out of himself and then crashes into a tree and it's like not not really having his best his best day today um, yeah, he's going to get subbed off after like 20 minutes at the rate he's going. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely like someone needs to have a word with him. Um, but on the flip side of that, yeah, he out back again. Like I, I was not expecting to, to see him like crop up in another episode. So it's always good to have a bad Australian accent in our Transformers. <laughs> I was actually pretty happy that that Predator King was actually and the Predacons were actually seeming like a competent force. Yeah, yeah, this was clearly before somebody got the message that they that they don't need to be good anymore because yeah, they they're actually they're, they're actually sort of a, a bit of a menace here. Although this is one of those episodes where Predator King seems to have a really weird design. I assume they base it off of like a non-final toy design or something because he just doesn't look finished. And it's just it's somewhat annoys me because Predator King's design is really cool, but when you kind of don't quite get it right, it's like, "Oh, he just looks really blocky and a bit weird." But hey ho. So, what is this hologram saying? Quote unquote. Journal 11 22. Playback. Containing items 379NW through 793BQ of the Quintesson Journal. A complete record of our commercial enterprises, technical plans, and special projects. Pretty much sums it up. Very, very succinct. Yeah, this is, this is like the Quintesson version of like leaving your laptop on a train and someone's found all of your PowerPoints and Excel spreadsheets. This is like when was it was it the Apple developer who left the iPhone that hadn't been released yet in a in a pub. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> definitely one of one of those. Now, the reason I finished the quote where I did is because at that very moment the Predacons arrived and began attacking. Skylinks arrives to rescue the Autobots, and the Predacons at that point reunite into Predator King. We get some fun action, it's got to be said, between both Skylinks and Predator King, leading to Skylinks then quickly landing, picking up his comrades with the Quintesson Journal in hand, and escaping. And just when you think they're safe, Cyclonus and the Sweeps arrive out of nowhere and begin chasing them through space. Suddenly, for the first time, I think Andy since Five Faces of Darkness, because this caught me off guard, we see one of the warp gates that looks like a painting frame. Because we've not seen one of those in a very long time. I think we saw it once before, maybe. It may have even been the Killing Jar, come to think of it. Yeah, that was maybe, I think that was, I think that was the same tech. But yeah, we've not we've not seen it in a little while, which is kind of weird because warp gates like you normally you normally put those in your sci-fi series to make it really easy to move everybody around. And it feels like this series keeps forgetting it can do that and everyone has to fly everywhere. 
But the funny thing is, it's the first time we've seen it in forever, and it gets used multiple times in this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone clearly remembers, like, oh, we could have... Think of all the stories we could have made so much easier if we'd have just used these damn things. Would you reckon someone was told, is there a toy of a warp gate? Do we need to sell this warp gate? What's happened? Is there a yeah. transformer called warp gate? <laughs> yeah, just, 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 just a really easy toy to produce. It's just like an empty frame. It's like, no, it's, it's the warp gate, so therefore it costs like 20 quid. <laughs> So, this painting frame appears out of nowhere and produces an energy field that grabs Skylinks and pulls them through the gate, rapidly closing and disappearing without a trace. The Decepticons, suffice to say, are very confused. On the other side of this warp gate, it is revealed that it was a Quintesson ship that pulled them through. And they have now captured Skylinks inside, and because of tech that they have in there as well, have disabled his ability to transform and has also seemingly drained his fellow comrades of Energon as well. The Quintessons reclaim the journal and take Outback, Blaster, and the cassette tapes prisoner. Now, they're in they're in Quintesson jail. It's not the first time we've seen this in the show, Andy. We've seen some interesting ways of them getting out of jail, be it from the Quintessons or any enemy, for that matter. I feel the need... I'm not going to do a dramatic recreation, because that's not physically possible... But I feel the need to try and, and emphasise what happened here. The the Transformer on guard, if you will, is a shark to come. And let's just go with this as it is. Outback says to the shark to come, I'm not going to do the accent, excuse me, you look like you could use a little Energon. And then basically has a little, tiny little Energon cube and sort of is like baiting him. Oh, would you like some free Energon? The Sharksicon tries to reach it, but the Energon bars prevent him from reaching in. Outback then adds, Well, these bars present a little problem, don't you think? And the Sharksicon nods, turns the bars off, and then says, quote-unquote, Now, gimme! And then Blaster then says, Be glad to! And then shoots the Sharksicon. <laughs> or you could say, Blast the Sharksicon. And then Blaster adds, was that as easy as I thought it was? Yeah, I mean, at least at least the the series is self aware of like how dumb and stupid it is. Um, but also, like it, it does it does tie into the whole like Sharktacon law that they're not very bright and they like Energon. So it it all it all adds up. But it is kind of funny because you get that typical moment of any cartoon like this of like, ah, oh, how are they going to get out of this one? And it kind of feels a little anticlimactic, where it's like, well, we'll just get the guard to turn off the energy bars. It's like, oh, alright then. Well, <laughs> fair play for, you know, sometimes the simple strategy is the best one. Outback grabs the journal, which is literally just floating nearby. No one actually guarding it. That's clearly how important it is. And the Autobots then escape aboard Skylinks and set a course for Cybertron only to discover that Galvatron, Cyclonus, the Sweeps, and Predaking King have now located them and begin firing. Galvatron having a great quote amongst all of this, which was simply, No mercy and no mistakes. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, you've jinxed it, Galvatron. <laughs> you've jinxed it, buddy. Yeah, I mean, that, that that is asking for a bit of a first from the Decepticons of, like, no mistakes. <laughs> it's, like, you know, it's, it's literally your brand is mistakes. <laughs> The Decepticons manage to steal the journal by, quite frankly, just blowing an almighty hole in the side of Skylinks. It's some proper damage, it's got to be said, in terms of Transformers lore. Sending, well, I guess compared to the, not counting the movie, let's move on. <laughs> Sending the Autobots inside Skylinks and the journal hurtling into space. 
causing Andy the following dialogue exchange between Decepticons. Cyclonus says, Predaking, enough. Prepare to depart. Predaking then responds with, Not until Skylynx dies! Galvatron then says, I say who dies and when! Cyclonus then responds with, The Ion Trail from the Quintesson ship is very strong. They are close by. Predaking then says, But you said no mercy, Galvatron! <laughs> to which Galvatron says, Very true, so I will show none. And then clobbers Predaking in the face. <laughs> Yeah, that's very, very, very good. Very, very Galvatron. Peak Galvatron. I've got to say, you know how I was saying a minute ago that, 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 that like, Predator King looks, like, really competent here? It's just like, oh, come on, give the guy at least more than one scene. That's all yeah. I asked for. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all he was asking for as well. It's like, can I do something <laughs> else cool in this episode? And Galvatron's like, no, <laughs> you cannot. It's the, 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 I feel sorry for Predator King because he's like, I'm just doing what you said. Yeah, literally, <laughs> yeah, doing what you just told me to do. But hey, that's 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 management for you. <laughs> Back at the peace conference, after tensions flare up between the two delegations, they have now respectively left. We then see the delegations communicating with a, a mystery third party, each of them, intending to purchase doomsday-like weapons from their suppliers, the Quintessons. The delivery report from the Quintessons was as follows, Andy. Quote, Our vehicle has encountered turbulence in space. Shipment of your ultimate weapon was delayed, but it is now en route to you. End quote. Yeah, I mean, we've, 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 we've all had those kind of notifications from our courier of like, oh yes, delayed <laughs> in transit, definitely. Like, it'll, it'll be with you soon. While you dot, are out. Dot, dot. <laughs> we, 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 we left your doomsday weapons in a safe place. You'll we left find... it in your bin. <laughs> yeah, we, you'll find them, yeah, in your recycling bin. Oh, also, it was a recycling bin day. Oops. On an unnamed and based on dialogue and the uncharted planet, according to Cyclonus, the Decepticons begin to examine the journal. Not knowing how the Autobots got the message to play in the first place, Galvatron does what Galvatron does, Andy and just throws it into some rocks on the ground to try and get this important piece of tech working. And of course, because it's like an old TV set, it works when you just smack it on the side. Yeah, it's, it's the funniest thing about this entire episode is like this Quintesson technology that you just have to bang it to make it work. <laughs> and it's like, sure, all right, fine. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're in 2006 at this point, mate, so you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, a, a wonderful future. I mean, hey, I, I remember there being a hot minute where you had, like, alarm clocks that you had to throw at the wall to turn off. So, you know, I guess it, it, all, it all makes sense, maybe. <laughs> we see records of the Quintessons selling technology to one planet that crippled their economy, which they now control as a result, and another record showing them selling different technology to a different planet that caused pollution to destroy all of their vegetation. Discovering it is economic in nature, Galvatron is very angry. Well, angrier than usual, until they start discussing the two nations that are involved in the peace talks with the Autobots. At that moment, it's like they're on cue, the Autobots have now tracked down the Decepticons and have seen what has been played. They have now figured out, wait a minute, the war between Zataxis and Lanark was... was was a, a plot, a ploy, and this is in the journal's archive. Like, they could stop a war, effectively. So knowing 
they could end this war, the Autobots now attempt to steal the journal back, only for the Quintessons to arrive and steal it back again. On Cybertron, the two delegate sides are now just outright fighting each other, both in the room and in spaceships out in space as well. Now, the way this is emphasised, Andy, and th this, this line spoke to me, both in a slightly hurtful way, but also in a slightly, yeah, completely fair way. But there's also, like, other context surrounding this, which I may get into, <laughs> which is quite weird. So Rodimus just says, amongst all of this debauchery happening, this reminds me of your wrestling shows on Earth. To which Spike responds with, at least those are faked, Rodimus. Yeah. See, I, I, I have I have like a conspiracy theory around this that may well be what you are going to get into, which like I remember being a kid growing up around this era where like one of the the burning discussions amongst kids was like, is wrestling real or not? And and this was also a time where wrestling was eating a lot of other people's lunches in terms of cartoon shows and other toys. And I can't help but feel like this is Transformers throwing shade slash trying to throw like a grenade at wwe as it was at the time or wwf as it was at the time rather and wrestling in a hope that like hey if we just call them out and just say hey everyone wrestling's fake everyone will go back to transformers which obviously is real um instead and that that that's my conspiracy theory of just like there's like, ah wrestling ah well let's ruin wrestling for everyone yeah well it's like you said in terms of cartoons i think the cartoon would have been Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, that sounds familiar, which was a cartoon, we're never going to cover that, but it was a cartoon in and of itself. <laughs> but it's also as well that, like, the year before in 1985, the WWF had held its, like, its first WrestleMania event, and so following the wave after that and all the popularity that they're still accumulating at this point, that's kind of a big thing, and there was a very big, if you go watch documentaries and stuff, it is pointed out that if... Like, someone said to a wrestler, oh, what you do is fake, wrestling is fake, they'd probably just get beaten the hell up. So the fact that a kid's cartoon is doing this, it's kind of like, you're kind of almost touching a weird taboo ground there. In a weird yeah, way. yeah, I, I definitely, I had that exact same reaction of like, yeah, it was definitely an era where, like, you, you did not dare speak that wrestling might not be real, and certainly, like, kids of the sort of age that would be watching this cartoon would be very much, you know... I feel like the majority were defenders of the like, no, 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 like it's all real, which is kind of crazy thinking about that in hindsight. But hey, we, we were kids, we were stupid. So, you know, there you go. But, uh, it was but a different yeah, time. Exactly. But yeah, that did amuse me greatly because that did feel like a very deliberate <laughs> attempt to kind of uh, to, to throw some throw some shade there and, and maybe, you know, disappoint a few kids and make them buy Transformers instead. So having now ruined wrestling for a, for a generation of kids, at this point we see the two planets communicating with the Quintessons about the delays to their to their order. We've all been there, everybody. We can all relate. This leads to the Decepticons attacking the Quintessons, but they use a warp gate to get away very swiftly. Upon arrival, the Quintessons decide that they will deliver both of the ultimate weapons, or as they called it, bombs, once they have been paid. Fair. We've all been there, once again. However, the Autobots manage to break into their ship, because that's just what happens now. <laughs> Quintesson technology is clean, not all it cracked up to be. And they steal the journal back again. Rodimus tries to once again restore order, and fails. And he's so frustrated, he just fires his weapon in the air and basically orders the two delegates to sit down by just throwing them each on a chair. 
because that's how you make people have peace talks. Yeah. And to be to be fair, I feel like that's the most sort of like animated Rodimus has been about anything for a lot of this series. It's like finally he's actually gonna just like get up and do something. Like fair fair play <laughs> to you. At this point, Skylinks arrives by literally making a hole in the in the roof, it's gotta be said. He just crash landed. Which also is a recurring theme of Transformers in these episodes. We'll get into that when we talk about the next episode, which is technically the episode that aired before that should have aired before this. Not gonna go into that once again. And now the two nations are in shock at the sight of Skylinks. Or maybe they're in awe at the sight of Skylinks. One or the other. Take your pick. Yeah, they clearly didn't seem just like crashing into a tree earlier, otherwise they'd just be <laughs> laughing at him and just be like, Well, it's this guy. <laughs> Blaster and Outback now show the recording of the Quintesson Journal to the delegates, because, Andy, they've clearly now figured out how to just turn on the on button for this thing. <laughs> Finally. And the two nations are horrified to discover that their worlds have both respectively suffered to finance the Quintessons. Having been found out, the Quintessons contact the Peace Conference directly, because, as we've seen before, Andy, they can just hack in to anywhere on Cybertron. They know how to do this. No one's thought to upgrade the firmware or security protocol, you know. <laughs> yeah, just change the password perceptor, for God's sake. <laughs> and they announce that they will be delivering what are now referred to as the Omega Bombs. Take your pick, everybody. It's like Metroplex all over again. Right into Zataxis and Lanark. But this is a big mistake, on the Quintessons part, because while they're doing this and threatening this, remember that hole that Skylink's made in, like, the side of the wall or the ceiling? Everyone can just see the Quintesson ship flying by, <laughs> and that's when they go, oh, wait, they're right there, let's go and get them. <laughs> <laughs> so Rodimus and Ultramagnus hop aboard Skylink's and follow the Quintessons, destroying the ship before the bombs can each respectively be launched. We then cut back to Cybertron, where... Peace has been, we'll say, negotiated between the two neighbouring nations. Because Zataxis and Lanark, effectively, Andy, the way to sum it up is, we don't like you, you don't like us, but we've both suffered from this pointless war. And we hate that even less. Or no, we hate that fact even more. So, you do you, we'll do us, leave, leave each other the hell alone. Is basically what it boils down to. And then Rodimus, to end the episode, because, as we know, Andy, if there's one thing Rodimus is good at, it's rallying up everybody in a, in a positive way to make it feel like they've achieved something. And he basically just says, the only real winners in this were the Quintessons. <laughs> yeah, thanks for <laughs> lightening the mood, Rodimus. <laughs> and that is how the episode ended. That said, on the Hasbro Pulse video that we watched, Andy, we got a fun video about Autobot City which could transform into Metroplex and then, like, Trypticon as well, like, a whole, like, montage about that. Yeah. I did, I did laugh how they had to keep referring to it as Autobot City can transform into Metroplex after all the discussions we've had. Yeah, that did feel like they were almost trying to explain themselves with that. Of like, no, no, when he's a city, he's Autobot City, and then when he transforms, he's Metroplex. It's like, eh, okay, I guess, I guess we'll let you have that one. But um, but that video package aside, that is how the episode concluded. And while being on like you know another downer note from Rodimus, it, it is an interesting story how the Quintessons have just manufactured all of this. And even on its own as a story, it works quite well as an episode. It did kind of feel fairly rushed, which is a recurring theme we have noted in a lot of these episodes on all the podcasts we've recorded at the end. But still a pretty good story overall. And I was actually quite happy and content with it. 
Yeah, yeah, it's the classic Transformers episode ending where it's like s- someone's not been paying attention to the running time and suddenly like, oh god, we've got two minutes to like resolve two planets <laughs> being blown up, the Quintessons, all of this stuff, and you know they have to rush through it. But yeah, this this is this is a, a, a good episode. Like I, I liked it. I mean, the whole kind of almost literal football of the canister kind of lets them have a lot of fun with that changing hands. I really enjoyed Galvatron, like, seeing it's been like, oh, this is boring, it's just a bunch of spreadsheets. Like, I thought this was going to be, like, Quintus on nudes or something, but no, apparently not. Like, I don't care about any of this, like, which is, is again, some peak Galvatron. Um, and yeah, like, and this is another episode that has a surprising sort of political undercurrent to it because the whole point of it is you know the quintessons military industrial complex and that they are provoking conflicts around the universe to profit from and like that's kind of on the nose if you sort of look at it in in terms of you know american politics especially of the 80s but you know sort of ongoing but that was definitely a period where you know there, there was there was a lot of that going on um and so there's a surprising like little bit of needle that you know the kids probably haven't noticed, but the the, the grown-ups in the room might have been a bit like, this sounds familiar. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, like, that's kind of, you know, another interesting sort of recurring theme through this series where it just, uh, it, it, it runs a little bit of, of, there's politics in your cartoons, I, I'm, I'm sorry to, to inform you. So now we venture to the TF Wiki. Let's see what they have to say about this episode. Continuity Notes. It's never stated outright, but it would seem that this is intended to be the same journal from the big broadcast of 2006 episode. Last mini spoiler, if you don't want to know right now, but we're going to talk about it in a minute. Last seen tumbling away through space, even though, as we're going to note in a second, Andy, I'm sure we both may maybe notice this, they completely messed up the colour scheme between the two episodes of this journal. Because in this episode, it's gold. In the next episode, which is technically the previous episode we're going to be talking about in a moment, it's grey. Yeah. See, I I still do like to imagine that they're actually two completely different canisters and it's like (laughs) the Quintessons just keep losing all their data and it's just, just, you know, a constant problem that they're always having. But yeah, I I think it is more likely it is just a colour scheme error and these episodes are the wrong way around. I will note, in terms of, like, losing data, I mean, the Autobots lost their entire backup on an asteroid that Daniel and freaking what was it, Wheelie randomly found. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, like, data security was, you know, not, not, not at the forefront of people's minds in, well, I guess even in 2006. So, you know, it's clearly <laughs> m- mirroring, mirroring reality in that sense. I'm just going to... Do you remember, like, it was around 2005 and 2006 on DVDs that were being released, you used to get, like, the pirate advert... Uh, the, like yeah. the, the mandatory pre-roll which is like you wouldn't download a car <laughs> yeah <laughs> seems very apt in this phrase at the moment doesn't it <laughs> yeah you wouldn't download the entirety of autobot history <laughs> you wouldn't crash a spaceship into the planet that has the entirety of autobot history you wouldn't send a race of interstellar beings that would destroy a planet to another planet would you <laughs> So, Predaking is presumably hungry for revenge against Skylinks after his previous defeats in Five Faces of Darkness Part 5 and Chaos. You can listen to our recaps of both of those episodes in the archives of our podcast, everybody. Skylinks evidently didn't rate the latter face-off, though, as he specifically refers to only one thorough drubbing in this episode. Blaster is first shown riding inside Skylinks in boombox mode. He doesn't seem to have size changed and is very large compared to Outback. (laughs) 
Ramhorn and Steeljaw are both in mini cassette mode, resting against Blaster. The three of them sort of bounce towards Skylinx's exit and freefall to, to a planet's surface before finally transforming. Later on, Blaster rides in Skylinx in robot mode with no problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I continue to just, like, refuse to question the whole, the whole, like, size transformation part of Transformers because it just becomes a headache very quickly. <laughs> also, as I've noted here, it's established in this episode that the Quinta Quintessons can just seemingly just make a warp gate appear out of nowhere. Yeah. Just at sense. a whim. And handy, <laughs> handy to have. Real world references. The architecture on Zataxis owes more than a little to St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow. Huh. <laughs> Star Wars sound effects, Andy. <laughs> yeah, as always. The deactivating lightsaber is the sound as the Quintessons' ship hatch seals behind Skylinks. It's the sound of the Death Star cannons as the Autobots and Decepticons battle on the Uncharted planet. And the Death Star super laser is heard as Galvatron takes off in pursuit of the Quintesson ship. <laughs> but they also note on here now why would the quintesson just let the journal float outside the prison cells <laughs> yeah many questions so trivia note the episode is full of names and terms that the fandom would be unable to properly spell until the dialogue script surfaced in the mid 2000s damn you richard merwin <laughs> uh, richard merwin being the writer of this particular episode, who, as a quick note, uh, was an American writer who also wrote episodes of Gem and the Holograms, Inhumanoids, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Phantom 2040. So there is your random writer's note for the day. And to conclude with this episode, Andy, foreign localization time. So, in terms of names of this episode, in French it was basically known as The Quintessons Journal. In German, we've got The Secret of the Quintessons. Good title. I think that's yeah, fair. Good, good, good title. Maybe over overselling it a little bit. It's just like, <laughs> it's a secret of the Quintessons, not the secret. Uh, in Mandarin, we've got the Journal of the Quintessons. In Italian, got a first and second dub. The second dub was the Quintesson Journal. The first dub in Italian, apparently, was the Quintesson Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> the Quintesson Brochure. <laughs> The Quintessons and, <laughs> and the Japanese title, Andy, The Quintessons, The Merchants of Death. Oh, there we go. Once again, <laughs> Japan is nails it. That's a really good title. Oh, I know, right? It's one of the best ones we've had, I think. So, everyone, that concludes that particular episode. Before we move on to the next one, technically the previous one, I'm not going to go into it again, Andy. I'm not going to... I'm not going to wear that joke out much more, I promise you, everybody. Uh, any other notes that you had in relation to the Quintesson Journal episode? No, no, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think so. I think we can move on to the next previous episode. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds even more confusing to my brain now. <laughs> but with that being said, it is time to discuss Season 3, Episode 22, Broadcast Order. The big broadcast of 2006. On the planet of junk, Rekgar and... As I've written it down, his special lady friend. Yeah, lady. Yeah, that 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 was my my first note. Is like Lady Redgar? Question mark. <laughs> they are concluding a fine day of watching television. As observed, 
by the Inquisitive Quintessons, as it's noted on the TF Wiki. I thought that the note of Inquisitive Quintessons was quite fun. It's also difficult to say, so kudos to you for nailing it first time. <laughs> they are searching for one of their lost journals. Do you see where we're going here, everybody? After observing the native Junkions, they determined that they must find a more subtle means, that, that being, you know, sending a shark to con retrieval team, it should be said, to try and locate the journal quickly. But Rekgar leads a force of Junkions against them and drives them off. Now, during all of this, the journal is discovered by the Sharktacons, and one of them is just kind of holding it with both arms in the air, but the Junkions just literally shoot his arms off. <laughs> which is quite a sight to see. And uh, in and amongst the melee, the, the journal is basically just booted somewhere else nearby on the planet. Once again, lost in a sea of junk. But during all of this, we see that the Quintessons have now come up with a cunning plan of how to perhaps be able to retrieve this once again. And it involves using television to their advantage. Should also be noted, and I'm sure you'll agree, Andy, there is some really fun dialogue between Rekgar and his lady friend at the start of the episode. I haven't made any specific notes, but just in general, Rekgar dialogue in this episode, it's, it's peak Rekgar here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it's he's one of those characters you can tell whenever he has any screen time that the writers are having a lot of fun, like cramming in as many TV references and quotes and general nonsense as they can. And I suspect they were rubbing their hands together at this one. It's like, oh, it's an all Junkion episode. It's all about <laughs> TV. All right, bring it on. Traveling through the Junkion sector, Skylink comes under attack by Astro Train. Haven't seen him in a hobby. Yeah, yeah, so remember him. <laughs> <laughs> While the two are battling, an interesting twist happens. The Junkions fire on Astro Train from down below on the planet, but they also attack Skylinks. Confused? We sure are. Skylinks races back to Cybertron and informs Rodimus and Ultra Magnus, who, at the time, are looking over new machines that will help restore power to a particular area of Cybertron. Rodimus is very bored by this prospect. <laughs> yeah, I, I love how bored he is. Like, even by Rodimus Prime standards, Rodimus Prime is very bored with this whole thing. <laughs> As emphasised by the following dialogue, Ultra Magnus, quote, I know you're bored, Rodimus, but with the mantle of leadership comes obligations. Rodimus responds with, Hmm, don't suppose I could interest you in a used mantle. <laughs> a great line. Very good. So, now under, now hearing from Skylinks of what has happened, the Autobot leader sends the aerial bots to investigate. Astro Train, at this point, returns to the planet Char to report his encounter, but Galvatron doesn't care at all, clobbers him in the face for bothering him. Cyclonus, however, is interested and takes Scourge and the Sweeps to investigate accordingly. I, I feel like at this point we need to put, like, Galvatron doesn't care on our bingo card as well as Galvatron <laughs> clobbers a fellow Decepticon. Because that is, like... I mean, him and him and Rodimus would actually probably get on pretty well together because they could just both, like, moan about their jobs. Like, they could be those, like, two grumpy old men in the pub of just, like, oh, you never guess what I had to do at work today. It's like, well, I had to watch this boring energy thing happen. It's like, yeah, but I had to listen to Astro Train going on this pointless thing about junkions and they'd have a great time <laughs> so so what is the quintessons plan this is when we find out they are hijacking television broadcasts that the junkions are watching and planting subliminal messages telling the junkions quote unquote the principles and neatness of organization 
is a good thing. And that all other life forms, it turns out including Quintessons and Transformers, are their enemies. We also get a fun moment where the Junkions are saying in a very zombie-like manner, Slobbiness is bad. Cleanliness is good. We then see Rekgar and his fellow cohorts are soon cleaning up everything around them. And they're sorting out their accumulated junk. And in the process, they find the Quintesson journal that the Quintessons want to that the Quintessons seek, excuse me. The aerial bots at this point arrive over Junkion and are promptly attacked by the Junkions and the Quintessons, respectively. In an interesting twist on things, which I think it's the first time we've seen it happen in this manner, Andy. The aerial bots are kind of trying to form Superion. They're kind of like maybe two-thirds halfway there or so. And them being attacked in this manner just makes the transformation fail utterly. And like a moment or two later, they have then become Superion properly. But it was a very weird moment where it literally just stopped them transforming. And it was it was quite a moment. Yeah, I, I, I feel like we've had sort of similar circumstances before with like Devastator and stuff where they get kind of like shots... I mean, remember that episode where Devastator literally got blown into a million pieces? But, I mean, apart from that, I feel like there have been at least one or two occasions where, like, a, a combiner has been sort of decombined, like, mid-transform or something like that hmm. because they've been attacked. So I guess there is there is precedent for it. But, uh, yeah, you don't you don't see it very often. So, as mentioned, the aerial bots then successfully form Superion and target the Quintessons because, you know, they haven't got a clue as to why the hell Junkions are attacking them. And they rock their ship in the process, Andy. So much so, as I noted, that the floating Quintesson heads inside this ship are rocking back and forth inside. I don't know why I laughed so hard at this. Uh, it's, it's very, very good. Ultimately, Superion inflicts some massive damage on the Quintesson ship effect by effectively overpowering their defences, which is quite a cool moment, actually. It makes Superion look really freaking good. But to counteract that, Andy, because it's like, you know, 50-50 booking, as they say in wrestling, you've got to have one guy looking good, but they've got to have their comeuppance as well really, really quickly. Superion is just knocked out and rescued by Skylinks. Yep. <laughs> the Quintessons then... As I, as I had to write down, because I thought it was a great way to say retreat, they initiate strategic withdrawal. <laughs> now, jumping forward a little bit here, just to kind of say where things are going. In a later scene, we see Superion is brought back to Cybertron by Skylinks. He is checked out and warns Rodimus and Magnus that the Quintessons are effectively up to no good. And as he's being checked over, we get the following dialogue exchange. Rodimus says... Will he be alright? And I've totally not written it down, Andy. Who was the pacifist protector bot in the, in the episode or two ago? Um, oh, was, was Red Alert. Perfect. So Red Alert then responds with, Well, there seems to be no permanent damage. And then Magnus says, Thank the Matrix! Which I don't know why, I really like that line. <laughs> Actually, I like it. It's First Aid, isn't it? Not Red Alert. First Aid, thank you, yeah. We then cut back to Junkion, where Rekgar and Ladyfriend and others are watching what you could either call, Andy, a ballet dance or an aerobics workout video. Take your pick, everybody. I'll let you decide on Twitter and such. Now, somehow, this prompts Rekgar to say in as big of an impression as Mr. T as you could possibly make it, I pity the fool who messes with us. 
and we then see Cyclonus and the Sweeps arrive and begin attacking. Now, the reason that they're passing by is because, as mentioned earlier, Cyclonus is intrigued by what is going on, so it's more just to kind of see what happens and such. And as they're passing by, they're seeing a Quintus on ship leave, and they suspect, too, that something is up, that being Cyclonus and co. But upon seeing the retaliation of the Junkions, they break off their attack and return to the planet Char. The Quintessons have now discovered that Superion's attack has damaged their subliminal message inductor. Someone had the thesaurus out in this episode, Andy. Resulting in what I've phrased as unique elements being thrown into their transmissions to the Junkions. The example of them being that the Junkions are watching the biggest knockoff in the world of The Price is Right, where the subliminal message of share, to share is to care, is said. Except the word share wasn't meant to be in there. But now, Andy, maybe my favourite moment in the episode. As part of this knockoff Price is Right moment, we get to see what prize is being offered, which includes the following voiceover from the game show host. And this combination granny and attack dog bot can be yours if you name that prize! Yeah, Thoughts on the combination granny and attack dog bot. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it just makes me very disappointed that we live in a different, we lived in a different version of 2006 to this because I feel like we clearly <laughs> we we missed some important technologies. So I, I lamented it M- much like the flying cars argument. Why don't we have flying cars yet? Why don't we have granny attack dog bots? <laughs> I want fun. to know: was there a granny attack dog bot made into a toy? <laughs> this is yeah, what I want I to mean, know. Th- th- yeah, they definitely missed a trick there. That's for sure. Anyway, back, back to the point. Because of all of this, the Junkions now believe that they should transmit their broadcasts to everybody because, you know, share is to care, based on the message. Upon doing a bit of digging, the Quintessons discover that the Junkions are broadcasting to pretty much every other race in the galaxy. A bit of a big boo-boo here, Quintessons. This then prompts the following quote from Rekgar, Andy, which I can't do it in the voice, but I want to say this verbatim. Because there's a lot of references in here, and it ends with a wonderful little callback to the Transformers movie. Mrs. Peel, we're needed. One five-year mission to boldly share our signal with all the sloppy life forms who are our enemies. There is nothing wrong with your television set. We are controlling transmission. We control the horizontal. We control the vertical. We've got the touch! Yes, yeah. (laughs) That was very, very very enjoyable. It was... uh kind of impressed that somebody like decided to drop that in there because it was a, li- a little bit forced but I'm here for it <laughs> in terms of how <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh in advance of me saying what I'm going to say how is all of this new subliminal messaging being received via- from the Junkions to other worlds we get to see this we then are shown an example on a planet referred to as Delta Pavonis 4 where the locals cat people, are shown watching a show on a big screen called Andy Space Age Jack, where we see reptiles armed with weapons attacking a city and the local military responding with the combined call sign that you all shout together when you're going to attack someone of Yo Jack! (laughs) (laughs) Again, writers are having so much fun all the way through this episode and I love it. Such a fun moment. It just... 
It's just really, really good fun. And the subliminal message that appears on top of what we're seeing on this screen is simply, all other life forms are your enemies. <laughs> So the affected races soon begin lashing out at their respective neighbours, causing what promises to become an interstellar dark age, as the Quintessons put it. The Quintessons, though, see a good possibility here, as they can sell some weapons to, to the warring races, but decide that the recovery of the journal is the higher priority. Can you see yet, people, how this is linking into the episode we just recapped? Have you figured it out? <laughs> Back on Char, Galvatron... Once again, is displaying signs of anger at Cyclonus because he's gone to Junkion and tried to report back to him, even though Galvatron didn't want to know anything about Junkion. But Cyclonus continues on believing that the Junkions have now turned on the Autobots, and this is a good opportunity for the Decepticons. Galvatron doesn't care, hits him, but there's one of those twinkle moments in his eye, Andy, kind of like we saw when he came out of the lava pit from Five Faces of Darkness. That moment of... Something crazy's happening. We haven't seen this look in a while. Maybe not since Webworld, potentially. But it's been a while. Hoping to find answers, Magnus, Cup, and Blaster head to investigate what is going on on Junkion, Andy, in Omega Supreme! Yeah, remember him. <laughs> <laughs> Out of flipping nowhere, Omega Supreme returns for his glorious comeback. So glorious! That he's attacked by Cyclonus and the Sweeps, is damaged, and then crash lands on a nearby planet. Yeah, should should probably have stayed in the Forest of Solitude, to be to be honest. But <laughs> it's just like I I just had that reaction of oh my god, Omega Supreme lives, amazing, and yeah. It was like that 50-50 thing I mentioned of, ah, oh, he's back to, to, to destroy all. And it's like, nope, got, know, got, we've got to restore the balance. Yeah, which, I mean, it, these are the kind of things where I would love to know, like, the decision-making and whether there was any kind of, like, chain of decision-making in terms of somebody saying, you should really show, look, we, we got some, like, cut-price return stock of Omega Supreme that we need to sell. Can you drop Omega Supreme in an episode? Or whether he was just a needs to, to an end of, like a means to an end rather of just like well we need to get these people somewhere and we can't use skylinks for this like oh remember that other spaceship transformer guy oh omega <laughs> supreme yeah let's use him but either way yeah it's, it's, a, it's a it's a very omega supreme cameo given that he spent a lot of season two crashing on planets as well so <laughs> you're just imagining in the writer's room they're like right where's the production bible giant book just searching through pages what other autobot can fly no, I mean fly in space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just un under S for spaceship transformers. Like, ah, there you go. The and guy. they find Omega Supreme's page and go, did he die in the movie? Yeah. Get the movie production bible out, try and find out. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, let's not get into that. Where was Omega Supreme during the movie? Right? I mean, because that was sort of almost one of the, the unspoken things of like, well, you know, assumingly he's gone somewhere because otherwise he could probably have sorted all of this out um but no apparently he just couldn't be bothered he was in his forest of solitude i guess he was never summoned therefore did not did not come and help yeah exactly <laughs> so as mentioned omega supreme has crash landed at part of part of the course at this point the autobots are now under attack from the decepticons and they're trying to draw attack away from the Guardian Robot, Omega Supreme, in case you forgot he was a Guardian Robot, it's been so long. This is where we get a fun interaction between Rodimus and Cyclonus, where Rodimus literally shoots Cyclonus in the kneecap. <laughs> and then Cyclonus' response is, Ah! 
a good shot, Rodimus. <laughs> Just such a random moment. But finally, Omega Supreme is repaired by Ultra Magnus, and he cleans house. And remember where I was talking about the 50-50 restoring the balance, Andy? It was restored in Omega Supreme's favour, because he literally just kicked a couple of sweeps off of a cliff. Yeah, yeah, he did. That was very good. <laughs> Suffice to say, Decepticons retreat. Meanwhile, the affected races have now converged on Junkion. So we've effectively got a giant interstellar war happening over the top of Junkion with everyone in sight just firing here, there, and everywhere. So much so, Andy, that Galvatron is now about and proceeds to want to get involved because the subliminal messaging has now affected him, it turns out. So despite him not wanting to be involved in anything to do with Junkion, he's ironically via the Quintessons, been tricked into getting involved in the Junkion battle. <laughs> yep, he sure has. I, I, I think I think we, we're coming on to what what might now be like my favourite line in, in all of all of this entire series. We'll see if I've got it noted, but you might have to note it. If, and if I don't say it, feel free to cut me off and get it in there, okay? <laughs> so, the Quintessons know they've got one chance to try and get this journal. And in and amongst all of the melee, we now get a one-on-one -on -one fight between Galvatron and Rodimus. It's short, sweet, and to the point, but it's really good fun. It's a really fun action. So much so that Galvatron's blast, which is deflected by Rodimus holding up a bit of iron, deflects into the Quintesson's ship and effectively just sends them hurtling into a void and whatnot. Which, at this point, because they've the Quintessons during this, if I remember correctly, Andy have now tried to recover the journal in and amongst the melee of this. The journal is now just sent hurtling through space. Yeah, where will it land? Who knows? Maybe we'll find out in the previous episode. <laughs> and having arrived a few minutes earlier, on board Omega Supreme, who's crash-landed for the second time in this episode, it's got to be said, Blaster determines that the transmissions are the cause of the violence and sends out transmissions to counteract them. Now, everyone's senses are restored. The Junkions have stopped fighting. And they, everyone starts to now concentrate their fire on the Decepticons, who promptly retreat. Rekgar asks what happened, and quite frankly, Rekgar effectively goes, I don't know. <laughs> the episode concludes with the, the Quintessons in their ship a bit worse for wear. And in terms of trying to prioritise what are they going to do now, it's determined that finding the journal is now their priority because of what it contains, and it must be found before their clients do. Dot, 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 to be continued. <laughs> Leading to the events, seemingly, of the Quintesson Journal. Now, Andy, before we go any further, what's the quote that you want to say? Yeah, so I, I, I forget, like, the exact line that precedes it, but it's basically, like, it, one Galvatron is, like, under the influence of these TV broadcasts, and there's some kind of, like... I can't remember whether it's like a game show or a motivational thing, but it's basically something along the lines of like, believe in yourself. And Galvatron just shouts, I believe in me. <laughs> and it's a fantastic line. He also then later says when he kind of comes out of that, like the television, it bewitched me, which is also a very good line. But just like Galvatron shouting, I believe in me was like, was, was my favorite thing. We now cross over to the TF Wiki, and the first thing I'm going to note, because I'm just looking through their quotes for this episode in case there are any other ones I may have missed. We've also got a fun one with uh, 
Ma- Ultra Magnus awestruck and Rodimus Prime Cavalier. Uh, Ultra Magnus saying, It's a war, and it looks like half the galaxy's involved. Rodimus responding with, Whatever happened to the good old uninvolved galaxy I used to know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good deadpan from Rodimus. I'll give him that one. Continuity notes. The first bit of television that Retgar is watching in the first scene of this episode. I didn't notice Zandy, but apparently it features a brief cameo from Starscream. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't didn't notice that. Was it actual Starscream or was it Starscream's ghost? Though? So, he's trading shots with Power Glide and his blue jet bits are coloured grey and he's missing his wing stripes, but it's definitely Starscream, says the TF Wiki. <laughs> uh, it seems to be a direct reference to the opening scene of the Master Builders episode from season two. Okay. Figures. So, according to the TF Wiki, the special lady friend is Nancy, who is a Junkion who appears to be the consort of the Junkion leader, Rekgar. Like all Junkions, she can be blasted to pieces without taking any noticeable permanent damage and is capable of repairing herself within seconds. Um, And based on what I am looking at on the TF Wiki, Andy, we don't see her again. No, that's that's. Uh, I, I mean, also, I did just want to say, like, when you've got a, a character, a character with a name like Retgar, it feels a little bit low key to like make his lady friend just call. I'll just call her Nancy. It's like, <laughs> come on. I mean, I mean, maybe again, maybe maybe there's a bit of politics in there. Maybe she is Nancy Reagan to Retgar's Ronald Reagan. Um, but it's funny you mention that because one of the notes on Nancy's page on the TF Wiki is. Ask Vector Prime implies that Nancy was named for Nancy Reagan, the wife of U.S. President Ronald Reagan. There, there, there we go. And and again, I mean, this is an episode that does have like a a bit of a rip from the headlines, like political angle to it, because you know I remember the eighties very much being a time of like TV is corrupting our youth, and there are subliminal messages that are turning everybody into Satanists or whatever the whatever the moral panic of the time was. But it was definitely a a decade where there was a real focus on like our TVs, you know, poisoning everybody's minds. And this episode is a very obvious, like leaning into that of, uh, and kind of, you know, holding a mirror up to it a bit in, in a slightly nonsensical Transformers-esque way. Another interesting note, Nancy was not named in this episode or in its dialogue script or in its comic adaptation. Referred to in the script simply as Junkie on Lady. <laughs> She went by the name Nancy in multiple Japanese guidebooks, with the name being pronounced Nanshi, because that's how it would be pronounced, suggesting that she received the name in the Japanese 2010 dub of this episode. How's that for a trivia fact for you? Yeah, fair enough. This episode is Omega Supreme's only season three appearance, and his last appearance in the cartoon. Consistent with pretty much every other appearance, he transforms to just his rocket ship form. Uh, future episode Grimlock's new brain, mini spoiler here, will mention in passing that Omega Supreme is away on a mission. Perhaps in an attempt to explain his absence for most of the season. <laughs> yeah, is that the equivalent of like telling telling your kids that you know the the pet rabbit has like you know gone gone away to the farm or something? <laughs> it's like, oh no, it makes me he's away on a mission. <laughs> Uh, So, real-world references. The title of this episode is a takeoff of the Big Broadcast series of movies from the 1930s. 
The, if you can name that, Price Game Show is an obvious parody of The Price is Right. As it is a Junkion-centric episode, the story is positively drowning in pop culture references. In addition to the generic phrases like, This concludes our broadcast day, It slices, it dices, and waxy yellow build-up. Specific references spewed by the various Junkions. <laughs> there are so many. Uh, include Andy, I may not mention all of them, but include the following. Here's looking at you, kid. Humphrey Bogart's famous line from Casablanca. Live from New York, it's Your Hit Parade is a dual reference to Saturday Night Live and Your Hit Parade. Thank you very much, the catchphrase of Latka Gravaz, Andy Kaufman, in the sitcom Taxi. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, the famous introductory line from the Mission Impossible TV series. Rekgar and his little buddy assume the roles of Perry White and Jimmy Olsen from Superman, respectively. Jimmy refers to Rekgar as Chief, at which point Rekgar quotes Perry by shouting, And don't call me Chief! <laughs> Just th this note, Rekgar cries out to his lady by calling her, Lassie! <laughs> Uh, we had the Avengers reference of Emma Peel that I mentioned. Star Trek, which was part of that longer quote. Uh, there is nothing wrong with your television set, which was an opening line from the narrative section of The Outer Limits. Uh, we've got the touch, as mentioned, possibly a callback to the song by Stan Bush in the movie. There's still there are so many other references here. The other one I will mention is obviously Space Age Jack having a parody of G.I. Joe in there. Instead of Yo-Jo, it being Yo-Jack. There are, there are lots of other references, so if you want to do it, folks, or if you want to read them, sorry, check out the TF Wiki on the, on the Big Bro Broadcaster 2006 episode page, because that is where you will find them. Now, the reason, Andy, I just mentioned the episode page is because, as you had pointed out in a previous podcast, this is a very rare Transformers episode in that this, this episode, or this story, rather, was utilised in both the comics and the series. Mm, yeah, indeed it was. So we, to delve into that, oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, it was, it, like the version that I've always been familiar with is like the comic version, which sort of turned into something of a like beloved story. Like it was definitely one of the ones that they sort of reprinted in standalone form that I recall, like on the UK comic side at least. So to delve into that a little bit, when the US comic needed a fill-in issue, this episode was chosen and script was adapted accordingly. While the UK officers were in no position to pass up on any US material being produced, this issue also completely conflicted with the movie future that they had established. To sidestep the continuity problems, Simon Furman wrote a framing sequence establishing that US comic number 43 as an imaginary story dreamed up by Rekgar as part of a lead into his Space Pirates arc. Mm. Does that sound very, very familiar to you, having heard that? Yeah, yeah, I could, I, I'd forgotten that it was all just a framing device, but yeah, I mean, again, the, the Space Pirates story arc was, yeah, like another sort of big UK comic-centric thing, so yeah, that, that all makes sense. So the Space Pirates arc, for those unaware, because I'm just looking at it here, uh, the, 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 main, the primary line of this page is, Death and destruction reign supreme as the Quintessons embark on their master plan to eliminate the, the Transformers species. Yep, just, just another day in the office for the Quintessons, really. <laughs> and you actually mentioned this in passing, Andy, as well, but interesting that while the warring forces are drawn in by messages of violence and destruction, Galvatron responds to a message about believing in himself. 
Yes, yeah, I actually, I, I, I have found the, the full quote now, which is great, like, Cyclonus says, like, Mighty Galvatron, where are you going? And his response is, to the signal, to be a winner, because I believe in me, um, which, yeah, <laughs> is, is, is absolutely fantastic. Foreign localization. So, so we've got some, it's pretty much kind of near enough there in terms of names of the episode. In French, we've got a different dub, we've got, like, a broadcast version, a DVD version, effectively, of the title, Big broadcast of 2006 with the DVD title. The the the, uh, the broadcast one I kind of like a bit more. It's kind of the, it's the Canadian French broadcast to be more specific. 2006, the year of mysterious broadcast. <laughs> I like it. It's got a bit of mystery and intrigue in there. So when it comes to Italian, we've got quite literal here, Andy. Subliminal messages <laughs> for one yeah. dub, and the second dub was the great TV show of 2006. Uh, in Japanese, it was the big broadcast of 2010. Oh, well, because, yeah, I guess they broadcast it in 2010. Yeah. <laughs> Very smart. I see what they did there. So, quick note on the Japanese version here. A Secret Files of Teletran 2 segment unique to Japan was attached to this episode. The segment recapped the events of Dark Awakening, which replaced, which replaces the original Secret Files segment that, I, that we both mentioned, focusing on Metroplex, focusing on the Autobots. Interesting you recap the events of Dark Awakening, though. What the heck? I was going to say, yeah, that seems particularly random, but I guess they just wanted to mention Optimus Prime a lot. Or Convoy, sorry. There you go. Uh, in Mandarin, the episode was known as The Significant Broadcast of 2006. <laughs> and finally, the German dub called it, Andy, The Hyperspace Program. Okay. <laughs> I... Trying to work that one out in my head, but whatever, whatever works, I guess. So there we go. So that wraps up that particular episode, everyone. And like I said, Andy, it's a good episode. I can also understand why that would work really well as a comic story as well. It's a very good sort of one-shot story where it could go all sorts of places. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm always kind of like curious to, to go back and see if I can I can pull that out of the uh, of the like collected. G1 comics uh, that I have digitally because yeah like I sort of I, I recall it being kind of quite fondly remembered and, and quite well liked certainly amongst the U US comics because a lot of the big good stories came from the UK side but this was definitely one that I remember sticking with people and yeah like it's a good it's a good episode like you know like I say I like the sort of the ripped from the headlines element of it that I think kind of still holds up in its own weird way um, you know the Junkions are always fun to see them as a sort of kind of neutral force but not quite in things and so you know having them at the centerpiece is, is quite interesting um and yeah like as i'm also a bit of a, a a weird nerd when it comes to stuff like broadcast hijacking which is not really anything to do with this episode but it also kind <laughs> of is so it lets me think about broadcast hijacking and the good old days of analog tv where if you had a strong enough transmitter you could just overload anybody else's broadcast and put whatever you want on tv which people only managed to do once or twice but it was hilarious so yeah good good stuff a good callback you could say indeed so from there, we advance to our final episode of the day. That being Season 3, Episode 23, Only Human. In a twist on things, Andy, we're on Earth for this episode. Yeah, rem remember Earth? <laughs> Which I want to say from the outset, before we dive in too far on this, because it's a very, very Earth-centric episode, 
I actually really enjoyed this episode being on Earth. It's not to say I haven't enjoyed the space stuff, but it almost just felt like, oh, this actually feels really different, just already just being on Earth and like starting off effectively at like a shipyard or a dockyard. It's just, oh, we've got a proper Earth-based story here. I'm game for this. Yeah, when it's also like we've had a bunch of stuff that's been sort of Earth-based, but in a more sort of either a very generic form of like it's somewhere on Earth or it's sort of, I don't know. I mean, I guess we had that weird like criminals fighting around windmills and all of that kind of stuff for the very clear Amsterdam. Like, let's not forget that wonderful moment. Um, but yeah, I know there's something. It's almost weirdly, I think it's maybe more the fact that it's in like super future New York. Mm. Where it feels like they've kind of really made an effort to lean into like, A, remember when we had a bunch of like New York based episodes. And secondly, they've actually sat down and been like, hey, it's the year 2006. Like it's, we should have some like future cars and future buildings. And there's something kind of quite eye catching to this episode from that point of view of you've actually done a future Earth thing which it feels like they've sort of been avoiding quite a lot up to this point. I mean, it leaves me lots of other questions about the, the state of, of Earth at this point, but it's kind of like, visually, I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, and they have some cool design stuff. Yeah, it does look really cool. And as you said, it's kind of what's described actually on the TF Wiki as a futuristic city scope of New York City. Yeah. And it, exactly. that definitely sums it up as well. So we begin in future-style New York, which, I mean, I mean, having to say it this way, Andy, is a bit, you know, not great. But it's a bunch of buildings exploding, quite frankly. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Some things have not aged well, but we will continue, folks. Springer is attempting to save as many people as he can from tall burning buildings. At, now, at the docks, this is where we're going, people, the docks here. Crime Lord Victor Draff, <laughs> what a name, has sent his men led by someone who we come to find out is named Dutch, attempting to steal a canister of Neutronium. And Rodimus and Ultramagnus have arrived to stop them. The thug who is holding the can of Neutronium, and then sees Rodimus, simply starts going, What do you want with us? And Rodimus responds with, Very little, believe me, just the object of your affection. However, Dutch shoots the canister, which explodes in Rodimus's hand after... I've written down, Andy, he was using the canister to scratch his cheek with. It's amazing. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's my favourite thing of like, you know, there's the thing that... Basically, this thing that just says bomb on it, effectively. And Rodimus is just like, hey, you know, just like, have a scratch with that. I'll just like, it's a little... It's a fidget spinner for me. And it's like, Archimagnus is like... Maybe you should not do this, but uh, alas, it is, it is too late for Rodimus Prime. It's, it's very much a, like, th this is a peak, like, Optimus Prime would not do this moment. <laughs> like, Optimus Prime would be straight on, like, this could be highly dangerous, we should be careful. Well, mind you, remember that time Optimus Prime just shot a meteorite that was, like, glowing <laughs> and seemingly very dangerous? So maybe I'm actually bigging up Optimus Prime too much. But I feel like he would... At least he didn't scratch his chin with the meteorite, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> so as you can probably guess, people, the canister exploded and the criminals then escaped in their flying car. That's how in the far-flung future we are, folks, in 2006. Flying cars. And Rodimus and, and Magnus go hurtling into the water nearby, which prompts the following dialogue exchange. Rodimus saying... When am I going to learn to be more careful? And Magnus responding with, hopefully at the next opportunity. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like how about from now on please like i mean we, we, we've already established that ultra magnus is not i mean that's the fascinating thing like if rodimus prime does buy the farm like who does the the matrix go to next because you know we've done we've seen that ultra magnus is no good with this i mean does it go to wheelie like i mean where you know what's what's the the next port of call for it I mean, it's a good. In some ways, the first one I would probably come up with is Cup. I guess based on experience. Yeah. But but, I mean, would he just like grow a few inches? You know, or. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. There's a whole bunch of like interesting alternative timelines there of like you know Rodimus Prime dies or is just deemed incompetent and you know. Or when he committed suicide in an earlier episode, it actually did destroy him properly. Yeah, yeah. Because like I mean, Springer might be might be a good shout. Like I feel like mm. Springer. You know, I think that's what we discussed in the previous episode, actually. Yeah, like he's snarky, but he'd be he'd be he'd be alright in charge. Or RC, I think we probably pointed that out as a choice as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. RC also 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 good. I mean, also in a completely different design this episode as we will come to see but hey you know <laughs> w- weird weird unnamed animation studio that works on this episode uh, actually you know what is it mentioned in this one let me quickly have a look uh, i think it, i think oh is... would you like to know who it is it, 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 it's not literally just like an unnamed they don't know who like acom outsourced it but they don't know to who or something i mean according to the tf wiki it just says animation studio acom Okay. Whether yeah. there is whether there is an additional note on that later on, we may discover later. But at the top of the page, it does outright just say Acom. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure this is one that it it seems like it was outsourced, but nobody knows to who because I mean it's clearly not an Acom episode because it's competent. Um, and, <laughs> but, but but also like yeah, there's a lot of like old style designs used for characters, like including Rodimus as well. Actually, that kind of marks it out as a bit different. So we now get to get our first glimpse of Lord Drath, or Lord, Lord Drath, as I may call him a few times as well. And we're sort of in like a meeting room, effectively, where he's talking with various minions and seemingly his girlfriend, which will come into play a bit later. And he says the following, because he is tired of the Autobots interfering with all of his stuff. We will deal with the Autobots as we would do any other impediment of business. To which Dutch in a very New Yorker-style accent, which I'm about to butcher, just goes, You're gonna ice them robots! <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard. Um. Just such a good line. So, this is where the episode gets really freaking interesting for me, Andy. Because Drath says he's gonna contact the mysterious old snake, who apparently... Ran some kind of terrorist organization in the past. Yes. And when I hear his voice, the first thing I thought of is, no, surely not. (laughs) And then you see a close-up of what is basically just like a face shield that you can't see past. And they never outright say who it is, but it's freaking Cobra Commander from G.I. Joe. And I lost my mind. It's just like, yes, it's happening. Yeah, it, it, it's so weird as well that, you know, I mean, given the, the you know, there have been plenty of Transformers, G.I. Joe crossovers, like, before this point and subsequent to this point in the comics, etc., etc., it's so weird that this episode sort of buries that lead. Like, I imagine there must be some kind of, like, marketing or merchandising or rights reason that they've had to do that. 
or, or maybe they were just really scared of like we don't want to like railroad our continuity and be like well, yeah this is definitely like the same universe as gi joe and go, go down that rabbit hole but it's so weird that they kind of it's such an off-handed off-the-cuff way of doing all of this where it's never overtly confirmed it's just a bunch of like hints and you know you'd have thought that they wouldn't have rather than call this episode only human they would have called it like oh my god this is basically G.I. Joe or something. Maybe we'll get, maybe that will be the Japanese title when we get to it. It's interesting as well, because we'll get to it soon, but this is literally referencing, this episode is referencing stuff that's happened in G.I. Joe as well. Hmm. So we'll get onto that in a second. But so we've got not Cobra Commander and don't be surprised if I'm just going to call Snake Cobra Commander, by the way. I'm putting that across there right now. Draft purchases cobra commander's assistance effectively and and technology and sets up a laboratory in his home and lord to the laboratory via an anonymous tip which springer comments on when he's asked what if this is a trap he tells the police commissioner who they were helping earlier during the big destruction of the city quote unquote no offense maybe this victor draft is tough but he's still only human (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Wrote in big capitals here, Springer said the line. <laughs> so Rodimus, Ultramagnus, RC, and Springer go to the lab, and ultimately, Andy, to kind of jump forward a little bit, they're trapped inside a, a giant test tube. <laughs> they basically run into it because they're trying to escape some lasers that are hurting them. Each of them is physically restrained and also have an energy field of sorts cast around them. The plan is to transfer their minds into synthetic humanoids with Cobra Commander, Snake, whatever you want to call him, literally saying as their souls are effectively being put into put through a tube, you're going down the tubes! <laughs> Which is a, a very good line. And also, yeah, because I mean, like, synthoids are a G.I. Joe thing, if I recall. Literally. Well, so. Yeah. Yeah, so their minds have been successfully transferred into newly created synthoid human bodies and synthoids are literally a thing that appeared in gi joe and i'm pretty sure it was in the cartoon as well for an episode because i have a, a a strong memory that synthoids were at least a thing once or twice so it is literally referencing technology established by cobra in gi joe of which we've basically got the main ringleader of cobra or one of them anyway so it, it, it is really weird how this is lit, just a silent crossover. It really is. It's quite weird. And I, yeah. It will be fascinating to delve into the TF wiki because I've purposely not tried to look ahead to the wiki for this one just to kind of see what random notes there may be about this because it is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the only thing weirder than this is like the human Transformers choice of fashion, but I guess it was the 80s, so I'll, <laughs> I'll let them off. So, the, 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 sorry, this is where it's going to get a little bit confusing now referring to things, so I'm going to do my best. The Autobots' minds have now been successfully transformed, at this point, into goop inside test tubes. And the, what I'm now going to refer to as the human Autobots, just as a point of reference, it'll be easier. A bunch of goons are told to dispose of the human Autobots. And they do this, Andy, by deciding to load them into, like, you know, a skip. And take them to a junkyard to be crushed. That that glaring silence you just heard, everybody. That's us just going. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd have thought that you might have a slightly more 
thought through or scientific way of disposing of, of, of this problem. But no, we'll just d- dump them dump in the local junkyard. What mm. could possibly go wrong? But Snake suggests to Draft that they could probably make use of the Autobots' former robot bodies. Cut forward to the junkyard, the four now literal human Autobots or just humans, as it were, manage to escape from the crusher in the junkyard before they are pulverised. They also are conveniently clothed, it must be said as well. But now, because they need a proper disguise, Andy, and they need to try and get away from the villains hunting them, they go to a nearby building, and they manage to find a bunch of clothing that very conveniently matches their respective colour schemes for the Transformers that they are. Yeah, thank thank God. And they swiftly realise what has happened to them. So, they split up into two teams. Magnus and RC decide to attempt to contact Autobot City. Just name-checking it. While Rodimus and Springer are going to go after Drath. We then get a fun bit of dialogue exchange at the front gate of Drath's home. Where one of the, the goons that was trying to actually crush them in the junkyard is driving like a flatbed pickup truck. And says... Your trash got up and took a hike before I could squish them. To which Dutch, one of the other one, just goes, Them blobs are alive? (laughs) To which Snake then says, Stranger things have happened. Which is like, you ain't joking, buddy, are you? (laughs) You've seen some things, my friend. (laughs) So once Rodimus and Springer reach Draft's house, and I say that because they were hidden in the back of the pickup truck with a sheet over them, Rodimus attempts to draw the guards that have now spotted them away, but in the process of doing this, he is wounded. He basically gets shot in the arm or the shoulder area because, you know, he's human now and gunshots hurt. Keep note, everybody. That's what happens. He is given refuge by Draft's girlfriend named Michelle, who didn't mention it exactly, but I referenced it in passing earlier. She wasn't exactly keen on the Autobots having been transformed, no pun intended, in this way earlier. Cut now to Springer, who is wandering the streets of New York while being offered the path to true humanity for only $4.99 tax deductible. (laughs) Literally, just offered a book by someone and just goes, nah, (laughs) and just swats it out the way. He spots Draft's men taking the the now former... Wait, how, how to phrase this? Spots his old Autobot body being taken for a test drive as well as his comrades' bodies. This is gonna get really weird. Autobots robot bodies. There you go. Figured it out. And he takes the op- and they have taken the opportunity, excuse me, the goons inside controlling them to rob a jewelry store. One of them is having a bit of an issue transforming. Conveniently, the body of Springer. So Springer basically goes up to them and says, "Hey, I've got experience with heavy machinery. I could pilot that thing for you." And then we get a little dialogue exchange of like one thug going, "Oh yeah, that'd be really helpful." But the guy who's actually driving going. Yeah, but there's only room for two in here, and then gets booted in the arse and promptly kicked out so that Springer can go in. So Springer is now driving himself. Oh, wait, how do I even phrase this? He is. <laughs> human Springer is driving robot Springer. <laughs> Which. I might. I'm going to say this now, Andy, it's just like a thought on a concept. I wonder if this was any inspiration behind the concept of the Headmasters. Because it's the first thing I thought of. 
I, I would assume the headmasters were already like a twinkle in somebody's eye at the very least at this point on the toy line side. Um, I'm trying to remember like the... I'm trying to remember whether the headmasters toys were actually like Transformers originals or whether they were, you know, like the original sort of Diaclone characters that, 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 that were sort of, you know, co-opted from some other toy line. Um, but I suspect at this point in time they were probably already at least in development. So, I mean, there might have been like a backwards version of that where they, you know, maybe some of the writers had had a sneak peek of like, hey, here's what's coming up in our big long season four. So they start thinking of ideas. Um so you, you you never know. There, there might have been some weird crossover there. Yeah, I'm just seeing a cursory glance through the TF wiki, and yeah, in terms of the cartoon, they obviously don't come until season four, the three episodes of it. Yes, yeah. Uh, but they have. It looks like probably appeared. They may have appeared in the comics portal. We might delve into that a bit more when we get to like the end of the episode, so I don't labour the point too much now. But that is the first thought that came to my mind, though. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Another random note as well that I thought of Andy is that I found it interesting that the thugs decided to exit the Transformers robot bodies while they were in robot mode rather than vehicle mode because it meant they had to climb down a ladder. I I guess it just feels cooler though. Like you know, <laughs> climbing out, like you get getting getting out of a car is like not very exciting, but I'm climbing out of a robot. That's that's something that's something you can take a selfie of for your Instagram. It's a, well, they, they must have had that in 2006. They probably had some put put it on MySpace. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. But but it also does establish as well that seemingly the Transformers can be piloted by humans in that form because normally we've never actually seen someone inside when it's transformed like that. No, no. I mean, it's usually people fall out when that happens. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure we've had, like, previous of, like, Transformers, or certainly in, like, uh, the, the comics, I remember, you know, when, whenever any of the car Transformers would transform, like, the occupant would basically just get unceremoniously dumped out on their backside. So, yeah, who, who knows how these fictional entities that have been readjusted for this specific story work. <laughs> Away from that... RC and Ultra Magnus, meanwhile, are having no luck contacting the police chief that they worked with earlier in the episode. But they notice a nearby warehouse is owned by Drath, and they decide to break in, discovering it is full of weapons. Unfortunately, RC manages to trip a silent alarm as they enter, and they're interrupted by thugs driving their old robot bodies. Magnus then threatens them with... Sorry, human Magnus then threatens them with a grenade. <laughs> That's a line to say out loud. Giving RC time to escape on a motorcycle, which she has literally just stolen and kicked a thug away from to, to, to get away from, as it were. But amongst all of this, Human Magnus is captured by Dutch and is taken prisoner. We then cut back to Michelle in Lord Draft's home, where Rodimus is sharing breakfast with her. <laughs> Yeah, which, and which, by the way, this whole thing is kind of weird because she's not really seen a lot of Rodimus Prime in robot mode, but pretty much as soon as she sees him as a human, it's just like, oh, it's you. And it's like, mm. it's because of the color scheme, you know. I mean, the yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess there's, there is the, the fashion choice there, but it sort of feels a little bit because when she says, like, oh, it's the look in your eye or something, it's like, well, does he really look that bored as a human as well? Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Yeah, it's also amusing seeing 
Rodimus trying to get used to the concept of coffee. And he kind of echoed what I thought. It's like, yeah, smells better than it tastes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least if, if, if me and Rodimus Prime can agree on one thing in this entire series is that coffee sucks, uh, please don't tweet me. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's right. Maybe, maybe I mean, yeah, given other discussions that I've had in my real life over the last week, maybe I am a Transformer, and maybe that's why I also don't <laughs> like coffee. So, could be. The, the, the surprise reveal at the end of this podcast. I was I was Starscream's ghost all along. <laughs> <gasps> oh, we've spoiled it now, Andy. Yeah, we yeah, got cut, this far. <laughs> cut, cut that bit out. Cut that bit out. We can save that for the final episode. <laughs> That'll be an outtake. <laughs> so Michelle is confiding with Rodimus, effectively. And Rodimus basically says, can you help me get into Draft's house so we can put a stop to this? Because Michelle isn't happy with the stuff that Draft is doing. At this point, we see that RC has made it to Autobot City and is trying to convince human security guards that she is RC. But rightly, they pretty much think she's crazy and put her in a holding cell. Yeah. I mean, not as crazy as the fact that suddenly Autobot City has human security guards. Like, where, where, <laughs> right? where, where were they when everyone was stealing Metroplex's eyes constantly? <laughs> I mean, you know, like, uh, to be fair, I mean, again, maybe they employed them after that. It's like, look... People are breaking into Metroplex literally every week and stealing bits of them. We should probably hire some security. Um, and so, like, maybe they have learned. So, so you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't throw shade at them too much. Well, you can imagine that the Autobots go to the Earth Defense Force. Look, we love helping you and we want to help you. Can we, like, reciprocate this relationship a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we may be massive robots, but really our security system, our burglar alarm is terrible. We so. haven't updated the firmware in like millions of years. Yeah, you know? yeah like Perceptor <laughs> insists that password is a good password. So if, you, if there's anything you can do to help. So, uh, where do I get to? Sorry. Yeah. So we then cut back to Rodimus and Michelle. They have entered Draft's home only for Draft to spring a trap because Michelle was in on the plan all along. What a devious woman. Draft then tells Rodimus that Snake, Cobra Commander, has come up with a new plan to load the Autobots' robot bodies with explosives and use them to blow up Autobot City. You know what, Andy? As far as villain plots go, not a bad one. Because you know why? Cobra Commander is a professional terrorist. Yeah, was a professional terrorist. Fair point. Whatever <laughs> happened, but yeah, he's not—he's not lost his—he's—he's not lost the touch. Um, but, <laughs> but he's got the power. He's got the power. <laughs> um, but also, yeah, I mean, I feel like you know, again, spin-off that we'll never get is maybe him just like hanging out with Galvatron. It's like, look, you've got the right idea. Blow stuff up. That's a good starting point. But here's how to blow stuff up. Not just willy-nilly. And stop hitting your comrades. And tell, and stop being bored with important details. There's one thing that Cobra Commander is good at as a character. It's trying to throw his authority, but as soon as someone is about to hit him, he's like, No! Don't hurt me! <laughs> yeah, it's the classic 80s cartoon villain uh, gambit. Back with Springer. Because he's now piloting his robot body as in his hum while he's in his human body. Oh, this is getting confusing. He has now discovered what the plan is, i.e. the explosives towards Autobot City. He ends up stealing his own robot body back, and in turn saves human Ultra Magnus, who is somehow tied up and manages to jump aboard Springer, but we won't talk about that bit because that's just weird. And then while trying to fly 
away in his helicopter form is damaged by the still occupied by the enemy robot body of Rodimus Prime by like a gunshot. I'm sorry if that was really confusing, folks. Trying to say that out loud is really difficult. But either way, the three remaining currently evil Autobot robot bodies are dispatched to Autobot City. Back with Draft, Rodimus manages to get three manages to get free of the goons, excuse me, and take down Draft himself. He's about to punch him in the face, quite literally, and then Draft just basically goes, Is that gonna help Autobot City? <laughs> like, who cares? <laughs> I'm not gonna punch you. So we then cut back to Draft's thugs, who are nearing Autobot City in the Autobot car forms. But the Autobots inside Autobot City are completely unaware what's about to happen, because as far as they're concerned, they see their comrades who have been missing for a while coming back. So they're all like, yay, hooray, they're coming back, yay! Meanwhile, RC's locked up in a detention cell going, no, will you listen to me? <laughs> There's a lot going on in here. After managing to repair himself... That doesn't work as... Springer fixes his robot body. <laughs> I don't know how to say this, Andy. And him and Ultra Magnus, while inside Robot Springer's helicopter form, fly to... Oh, God. Try and manage to catch up with the other robot Autobot bodies who are en route to Autobot City. Knowing that the Autobots inside Autobot City don't realise that there are three Trojan horses, as the TF Wiki put it, coming their way, what, what Magnus tells Springer to do is attack Autobot City himself so that the Autobots will attack them. <laughs> and they do that accordingly. Their firing on Autobot City alerts the inhabitants and after Blaster says, it's not Springer, it's a ringer. Very good line. I know, right? So good. They then have time to activate the defences and basically just demolish the other Autobots that are on their way. The currently evil Autobots, I should say, that are on their way. Once they have been successfully mullered, Springer then has the dialogue of, ah, the sweet smell of victory. Which I've got to say, Andy, in the context of this, I don't know if I agree. <laughs> in the sense of, like, he's literally just watched himself basically get mullered by his own comrades. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything is relative, I guess. I mean, let, let's also, while we're talking about, like, upgraded defense systems, also kudos for the upgrade to Autobot City. Like, remember how difficult it was to transform its defenses in the film? Now it's just one button. I bet, that, I, bet, I bet they wish they'd set that up like back in 2005 just like oh why didn't we just put one button that transforms it all instead of having all of these things that we had to do manually I also did like the fact that the, that the security guards trying to kind of like keep human RC like restrained and whatnot were just like the heck is going on when the transformation started <laughs> yeah they, had, they hadn't got to that bit of their induction yeah I guess <laughs> They nearly got through probation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Later, at Draft's lab, after the robot Autobot bodies have seemingly been pieced back together, Perceptor has now rigged the equipment used to transfer their minds out of their bodies originally to reverse the process. This is done accordingly. When asked about their adventures, Rodimus gives extra consideration to Michelle as she is led away along with Draft's other men. Meanwhile, Safely away from everything that's happened, Old Snake muses to himself how they just... In fact, 
Yeah, he actually does say this. He says, ah, they just don't make terrorists like they used to. (laughs) (laughs) And the way this then ends the episode, you kind of see him gradually walking away, almost into the sunset. And he basically goes, poor Mr. Drath. Not quite smart enough, are you? Uh, They don't make terrorists like they used to. Cobra! (laughs) And then just starts coughing his guts up. So good. Such a good ending, Andy. If it's not abundantly clear, I loved this episode. This was really good fun. It's, it's, It's just so randomly good fun, but for... It shouldn't work as well as it does, Andy, but it does. Yeah, I mean, the the, the crossover bit works pretty well. I really wish... I mean, th- this is a prime, with every pun intended, should have been a two-parter deal mm-hmm. because it felt like, you know, the whole you've transformed a bunch of Transformers into humans, like, do some more with that. It sort of felt like they kind of did that and then didn't really know where to go with it. Um, and like, there's so much interesting stuff you could have done there in terms of like, hey, this is what it's like to be human. Like, you know, maybe maybe Rodimus over a two episode thing would have developed a love of coffee and then been really annoyed when he was a robot again. It's like, ah, now I can't taste coffee. This sucks. Um, but you know, there's a lot of stuff that they could have done with like the human experience that they only really scratched the surface of. And I I would have loved to have seen a more involved version of this that really kind of played with that idea a little bit more because again i haven't thought about you know stuff like the sort of the, like the, the child's play episode where they were made tiny and all of that kind of stuff where th- they did quite a lot in a in a short spell of time with that those sort of concepts whereas this one it always felt a bit bolted on to the, the like the gi joe crossover element which was cool even as someone who wasn't like a big gi joe guy it's like oh it's kind of fun that they're you know, crossing the most ambitious crossover of all time or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of, there, there were definitely bits of it where it's like, I, I wish you'd, you'd find a bit more to do with this. Yeah, it's a fair point. I, I would really have liked this to have been a two-part story. It, it felt two-part worthy, which is a, a theme we've said a couple of times during this season, which ironically we have got stealth two-parters, but an actual named two-parter, I think this could have been really, really good fun. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. Like it had it had a lot going for it, and, and as far as that goes. So as we now head to the TF wiki, in terms of continuity and GI Joe specifically to kick things off, Synthoids originally appeared in the GI Joe: A Real American Hero episodes, The Synthoid Conspiracy, and There's No Place Like Springfield. So I wasn't talking total codswallop, Andy, when I said I thought this was at least a couple of episodes that I remember yeah. them. Throughout the episode, Old Snake's fingers, visible through his torn-up gloves, are coloured yellow and occasionally detailed with scales. This is notable because this fits in with the timeline of the G.I. Joe Real American Hero animated series, as in G.I. Joe the movie, Cobra Commander was mutated into a yellow-scaled snake man and then an actual cobra. He was eventually restored to his yellow-scaled snake man form in G.I. Joe, Real American Hero in the episode Operation Dragonfire Day 2, though that episode aired three years after this one. <laughs> but regardless, with the episode taking place in the future, it means the continuity works out. Yeah, there we go. Uh, this episode, along with Forever is a Long Time Coming and Madman's Paradise, is one of the few episodes not to feature Decepticons. In fact, this episode marks the only time in the G1 cartoon where all of the antagonists are human, or humanoid, 
Of course, they still get the Decepticon logo during the transitions. <laughs> this episode might answer a question Bumblebee asked at the end of the Season 2 episode, Autobot Spike, about what would happen if an Autobot's mind were placed in a human body. Yeah. How is that for a deep cut reference there? Blimey. Yeah, I mean, it, it, all, it all went so well for Autobot Spike as well. <laughs> Real world references. Though never called out by name, the episode is set in and around a futuristic New York City. Badly drawn versions of the Empire State Building and World Trade Center Towers can be glimpsed in the opening shot of the episode. Absolutely dwarfed by the crazer future buildings behind them. The NYPD markings on the first police hovercar can also be glimpsed. This episode uses a number of common cartoon sound effects for the helicopter rotors and laser beams that had not been heard on Transformers before. But they were very common on its contemporary competitor, Challenge of the GoBots. On, on, on which note, we, we, we didn't really mention the fact that Springer looks like he catches a guy on his rotor early in this episode. Yeah! Because I, it, I meant to mention this, yeah. Because like late, later on, like said said dude is in his hand, but like the the physics of it means that he would have passed straight through Springer's rotor, which would have been an uncomfortable experience. At best, <laughs> I suspect this is one of those things where it's like it's a transformer thing. He made it work. Yeah, I mean, it's also just a, like I'm sure you could have animated this in such a way that it would have made sense, but clearly that it was not their priority, so they didn't really care. Oh wait, I remembered our phrase. It was Unicron magic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, Spr I, I mean, I guess yeah. Like we don't know what material like Springer's rotor is made of. Like maybe it's sponge or like meringue or something, and it was fine. But anyway. <laughs> So we were talking about the animation studio earlier. This episode is animated by the same unidentified studio who Acom subcontracted to produce Starscream's ghost. As in that episode, early outdated character models are used plentifully and consistently. Rodimus, Cup, RC, and Springer all appear with their early designs for the duration of the episode. And like in a lot of Acom episodes, the inside of Ultra Magnus's mouth is often blue. <laughs> The most important thing of all. So you were right about saying it was the unidentified studio that did this. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it looked better than Starscream's Ghost. I mean, it I is, thought this uh, episode looked alright. Yeah, like I think all, all three of these episodes are actually reasonably solid, like animation-wise. Um, yeah, n none of them particularly fell apart. So, continuity errors. Michelle's motivation in this episode is a little murky. She seems genuinely upset when the Autobots are supposedly killed by Draft, and later she saves Rodimus from the per from his pursuers. Excuse me. Yet later she happily turns him over to Draft. Was she actually attracted to Rodimus and changed her mind, or was she just luring him into a trap all along? If she was working for Draft from the get-go, why didn't she just let his men capture him when they asked for him earlier? It couldn't have been because she wanted to snuggle with Rodimus that night, could it? This is a children's show, you know. <laughs> <laughs> following on from what you mentioned Andy it's a bit of a stretch that Michelle was able to recognise Rodimus by the look in his eyes <laughs> not only has he gone from being a robot to being a human she only saw him operational for a few seconds things like saying circuit shorted and not recognising coffee might be bigger hints <laughs> yeah I mean, you would think so trivia notes there are a fair amount here we'll see which ones we delve into 
In general, this episode is really rushed, story-wise, says the TF Wiki. Scenes are, are raced through at a pretty breakneck pace, and on the whole, there's a tremendous sense of this episode having to hold back from actually doing anything with the potential with the potential laden concept of the Autobots becoming human. Many of the ideas in the episode only seem half-developed, and what few subtleties do manage to break through, the constant hurtle towards the final scene are often blunted by the complete lack of even just a reflective sound to let them sink in. The final few minutes of the episode in particular are a collection of brief, perfunctory, checklist-ticking scenes surrounded by noisy scene transitions that don't even last 30 seconds each. This episode really cries out to be a two-parter, as we were just saying, which is a real shame since the annotations for the episode included amongst the original documentation featured on Metrodome's DVD suggest that the production staff were really excited and enthusiastic about it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about just how rushed the, the, the pacing and the scenes in this are. But yeah, there's definitely... This feels like it has a lot to get through in its 20 minutes and has to kind of barrel through at breakneck speed. Mm, it is a fair point. I hadn't thought about that either. But that's probably because I was just enjoying it a heck of a lot, to be honest. Yeah. While not an error... Since the reason for it is clear enough, it's a fun coincidence that once human, our four heroes' overalls that they wear perfectly match their former bodies' colour schemes. It's also convenient for the new synthoid bodies to form com- to form complete with t-shirts and trousers. <laughs> it's a children's show, you know. Yeah. The humanised Autobot synthoid bodies are much stronger than humans. Okay, interesting note. For example, during their escape from the junkyard, Synthoid Rodimus is able to break through padlocked metal doors, an impossible feat for a human, and in another example, humanized, uh, yeah, humanized, that's a weird word to say, humanized Ultra Magnus and RC push a container which is taller and heavier than they are and jump on it to get into Draft's warehouse. I hadn't actually thought of that, so that might explain a bit more how they're able to recover so quickly, as it were. Yeah, it's one of those weird, you can't tell whether it's like a cartoon being cartoony or whether it's something kind of, yeah, it's something specific to those characters. But yeah, there's clearly, that that's probably what they were going for. Human RC rides a motorcycle in this episode. She turns into one in several other continuity families. Yes, yeah, I guess she does. There's a fun little anecdote there. Although new background music tracks were introduced to the series beginning with Nightmare Planet... In a similar situation to Fight or Flee, this episode uses none of the new music tracks heard in Season 3, and in the two episodes that immediately surrounded it. Since this episode was one of the few non-ACOM and non-Toei animated episodes in Season 3, the possibility exists of this episode having suffered a production delay and subsequently being assigned a different production number. Not unprecedented in television production. As yet, however, no production documentation has surfaced to confirm this. Yeah, it definitely, it, it definitely felt like a weirdly sort of like a blast from the past of like, oh, it's sort of the old music again because I I just gotten used to hearing all the new stuff and suddenly we were we were back where we were. The Transformers animated episode Human Error would revisit the idea of Transformers becoming human, as would approximately 8 billion different works of fan fiction. <laughs> <laughs> and their final note when it comes to uh, trivia Rodimus totally gets some in this episode. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so, a couple of other notes, Andy. Uh, first of all, toys inspired by this episode. 
We haven't had one of these segments in a while. So, G.I. Joe and the Transformers Old Snake with with Advanced Stealth Bat, B-A-T, duo. A figure composed mostly of reused and redecoed parts from other G.I. Joe figures, although the hat is new, that represents Old Snake as he appears in Only Human, available exclusively through fan publications, Transformers, and G.I. Joe Collectors Club online stores as part of a three-pack with two bats, B.A.T.'s, they're the Cobra soldiers, effectively, for reference, uh, which are unrelated to the episode. So there was an old snake figure created. That's pretty cool. Uh, Transformers Collectors Club, Autobot leader, codename Rodimus Prime, and Autobot warrior, codename RC. A figure com- figures comprise mostly of reused and redecoed parts from other G.I. Joe figures that represent Rodimus Prime and RC synthoid human body forms in this episode. They were available as two separate figures, respectively, in 2016, as part of the fan publications Collectors Club Online saw. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool, cool that somebody somebody did that. I, I feel like this is the thing we're learning, like watching this, uh, rewatching all these episodes, is that somebody has made a toy for pretty much all of these like deep cut references that you might have thought otherwise had been ignored. Foreign localization. The final part of this episode recap, as it were. In French, the episode was named Only Human. There is an additional note on this. Concerning the European-French dub, this episode was redubbed late in the in the 2000s, probably on demand from, oh, I'm going to butcher the name of this, uh, Declique Images. I honestly don't know how to pronounce that. This may be because the original episode was lost or not usable. The dubbing implied a whole different team of voice actors, and three other episodes also got the same fade. That's a random anecdote. In German, it was known as Only Human. The first Italian dub was Only Human. The second Italian dub was just a human being. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely understated. I like that. In Mandarin, it was just human beings. (laughs) <laughs> that's really not something is it? <laughs> especially with a Transformers episode like I don't watch this one it's just human beings it's fine so the Japanese title Andy and there are some additional notes with this I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's just going to be Rodimus Prime gets some after uh, a <laughs> discussion but probably not it's literally going to it's going to be uh, human Transformers yeah I mean there you go like right right on the tin so here are some additional notes about this episode for you in, Je- in Japan specifically. Ryoichi Tanaka, the voice of Cobra Commander in the Japanese dub of G.I. Joe, reprises the role here for Old Snake. In the Japanese dub of G.I. Joe, the Cobra battle cry is Coco Cobra, rather than just the plain Ole Cobra! <laughs> As such, Old Snake's battle cry in the closing scene is appropriately localised, though he still bursts into a coughing fit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. This has this has in bold next to it cut. The scene where the informant tells Victor Draft that Old Snake is down the street pacing back and forth, then gets punched in the face as payment uh, was was cut for time. Yeah. Now we didn't reference that, but that was when Draft was trying to find Old Snake and effectively yeah. had a couple of goons telling him he's out back. <laughs> so, this is a big note, but bear with me. This episode was heavily promoted in the pages of TV Magazine, featuring two pieces of unique promotional art by Ban Megami across two separate issues, a rarity for episode promos. Ban Megami, for reference, a Japanese manga artist. Uh, Early in his career, he was one of the assistants on the legendary 
of legendary manga creator Leiji Matsumoto, author of such works as Space Battleship Yamato and Space Pirate Captain Harlock. Uh, Megami was a prolific creator on the original Japanese Generation 1 franchise and a frequent, frequent collaborator of series head writer Masumi Kaneda. Uh, he contributed character design work for all four Japanese exclusive seasons of the Generation 1 cartoon, including characters such as Minerva, God Ginrai, Star Saber, Victory Leo, and many more. Outside of cartoons, Megami illustrated the entirety of the franchise's defining run of manga and story pages in TV magazine, uh, in TV magazine, excuse me, alongside Kaneda from season one all the way through Operation Combination. I don't know what that is exactly, but I will just go with that. So either way, Andy, what we can say is someone who's very associated with Transformers and also a cool little anime connection as well in that. Yeah, yeah, and it sounded like Japan got it in terms of, like, the potential for this episode, that they kind of went all in Mm. on promotional art of, like, look, this is a crossover, we should make a big deal out of it, and not Mm. just, like, bury it in some random episode of season three, but... uh... Mm. (laughs) However, oddly, neither promo seemed to accurately describe the contents of the episode. (laughs) The May 1987 issue boasted a special news emblem indicating its importance over other episodes promoted that issue. The blurb described the episode, then ta- then tantalized children with the reveal that Cobra Commander, the archenemy of, of Grant and G.I. Joe, would be leading his Cobra army in a fight against the Autobots. The June 1987 issue continued this misinformation campaign, even going so far as to feature a full-page promo of the episode with artwork depicting Old Snake ominously leading a number of Cobra Rattlers and Fangs. The campaign was either deliberately misinformative, or Megami was working from outdated story summaries. A similar screw-up appeared in his promo artwork for Starscream's Ghost. That's a fascinating thing to think. I mean, you could kind of understand why. Because if you're going to promote Cobra Commanders in it, why else wouldn't you do it, quite frankly? But when you look at what the episode actually was, that's quite a difference. Yeah, I I wonder whether something was also, like, lost in translation there. That, like, the original pitch was just like, hey, it's a JoJo crossover. And, you know, maybe some of the other details were either omitted or not explained properly. And so once translated into Japanese, it's like, okay, yeah, I know what I can draw for this. And it it all went a little bit awry. And I think that's going to just about wrap this up. And uh, Andy, I guess before we conclude talking about this episode specifically, any other notes you had written down that you want to convey? No, no, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think so. It was. It, it, it was. It was a journey for Rodimus Prime from scratching his face with uh, <laughs> with a bomb to uh, be, <laughs> becoming becoming human. Um, but no, it's you know it's. An interesting episode it still blows my mind that they didn't like make it into a massive deal given the crossover elements, but I there's probably a story to be told there somewhere that we may never hear, I guess. Exactly. No additional notes for me, but like I said, just really enjoyed it. And if anything, the one thing that's probably come out of this in particular, based on what the TF Wiki said, which we've both realised, is it actually was a pretty fast episode, and we wanted it to be a two-parter. Excuse me, thinking about it more now, it was really freaking quick. And especially yeah. if it was a, especially if it was a stealth G.I. Joe crossover, you thought they probably could have made more out of it as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, I, I would love to know the whole 
story of, of you know how that came about and whether they had to be a bit sneaky with it or like you know how how official it was with all of the various brand teams or whether they were kind of like as long as you don't do too much of this you can just get away with it um because yeah like this definitely feels like there's a history here and i would love to hear it mm. so from there everybody what's coming up next time well peek behind the curtain before we started recording we were actually discussing this a bit andy because the way it works out we have got let me get my count right here we've got one two three four five six seven episodes remaining of season three so how did we decide again we were going to break this down when it comes to the next few episodes of the podcast? Uh, so I think we said our next episode we're going to make a three, and then we're going to have two two episodes, um, mostly so that we can end and give some proper love to the return of Optimus Prime um, at the end of at the end of this season. Um, and it, it also it also doubly works for me because it means I get to be very excited about the next episode. So, exactly. not, that I'm not, not that I'm not always excited about another episode <laughs> of this podcast, but, but more so than usual. Exactly, because in our next episode, we will be looking at episodes 24 to 26 of season 3, which have the following episode titles. Grimlock's New Brain, Money is Everything, and dating back to our very first podcast in this series about Transformers, there's one episode that Andy references fairly frequently, I'll say, across everything that we've done, but in particular from the very first episode. We have finally got there in our next podcast. It is Call of the Primitives. Andy, we're nearly there, finally. Yeah, yeah, we are. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I haven't hyped up too much now, because like, you might be <laughs> expecting so much from it. You're just going to be like, Andy, it sucked. What's wrong with you? Um, but uh, no, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very excited for that one, because it, it, is, it is peak... It is peak Transformers for me. It is it is one of the, the best episodes out there. So uh, I'm I'm excited that we get we we finally reached that point without falling apart. So here we are. Indeed. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, everybody, first of all, thank you very much once again for checking out the show. If you'd like to tell a friend about the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. And of course, as mentioned, if you've been listening in audio-only form, the podcast is available on the likes of Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, SoundCloud. We've done our best to get it in as many places as possible. And of course, if you feel so inclined as well to go there, just, just to hit the follow button so you've got a long-term archive of the podcast, you can now find all the episodes of our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash Ghost. Again, just to act as a long-term archive, not looking for any pledges or anything of that sort. And if you did enjoy this and you'd like to check out the video version of the podcast, make sure you go onto YouTube if you're not already there and search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast. If you want to leave us any thoughts, you can do so in the comments, be it on, well, you could even do it on the Patreon episodes if you really wanted to, or you could do it on the YouTube video version, or you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram under the username at StarscreamsPod. Mr. Hanley, before we wrap up good and proper, any final closing thoughts? No, I don't uh, I don't think so. Um, it's Hopefully we have delivered enough subliminal messages in our podcast that you will now go and tidy your room and share the love <laughs> or just, like, hey, everybody, who, who, who can say? Find out next time, I guess, <laughs> when we do this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to this. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with our next podcast. Until then, take care and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone. <laughs>